Four weeks have passed since I've opened the letter of James. James grew up with Jesus, but his life changed drastically once he had a conversation with his resurrected brother. Jesus taught him about God, about life, and about ministry. James was a bit older when he wrote this letter. He uh, probably had been in the ministry trenches for close to 15 years. He knew the importance of prayer, and he spent lots of time on his knees. But it's really interesting. He doesn't really mention much about prayer, just a couple of verses. That is until chapter 5. And that's where we're going to dig in today. It will be both fun and challenging to hear from Camel Knees as he talks about prayer. Remember, he got that nickname from his friends because of all the time that he spent on his knees talking to his father. James has been focusing all the way through his letter on on what real or genuine faith looks like. Today, we will clearly see that people with authentic faith in Jesus, they pray. This section also reflects James' pastoral care for his suffering flock. His main focus will be the casualties of spiritual battle, the persecuted, the weak, and the defeated. Before we jump into James 5, let's pray. Father, you are seated on the throne of glory. You are in control of all things. You alone are the King of Kings, worthy to be honored and worshiped. You are a God of compassion and mercy, a God slow to get angry, and a God filled with unfailing love. We gather to worship you, to adore you, and to praise your name. We come boldly into your throne room because of the blood of Jesus. He suffered so we could live. He paid our debt for our sin so we can stand in your holy presence. Our faith in Jesus has changed everything for us, Lord. We are now your sons and daughters. And we are overwhelmed by your grace to each one of us. We say thank you. We love you. You alone, Father, are our refuge. You are our place of safety in the storm, even in this storm. You will rescue and protect us and shelter us with your wings. You have told us that we don't have to be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the disease that stalks in the darkness or the disasters all around us. But I am afraid. We are afraid at times, Father. You have told us that you will order your angels to protect us wherever we go. Give us faith, Father, to trust you, to trust your character and to trust your unfailing love. You have told us when we call on you, you will answer and that you will be with us. You will walk with us in trouble. We are calling on you, Father. The pandemic marches on and confusion reigns. 
but we trust you with our lives and with our future. We pray for our leaders. We ask that you would give them wisdom. We pray for those who are working on vaccines. We pray, Father, you would give them success. And we pray for the caregivers, the first responders. We pray that you would give them strength and courage each day to do the work that they've been called to do. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering with this virus. We think especially of the harder family and pray, God, that you would heal them, that you would protect them, that you would give them strength back. We pray, Father, for the healing of our land, for your kingdom to come. May the despair and the confusion draw people to your loving arms. May God see, may people see their independence, their arrogance, and may they repent, Father. We also pray for your people. We pray for Crosspoint Church, that we would be light in a dark world, that we would be your hands and your feet and your voice. Father, we ask you to teach us today to open our eyes to your truth and that it would change the way we live. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. As soon as I mentioned prayer, my guess is our natural defensive defenses went up. Can we just own that? If there's any conversation I've ever had with any believer, almost universally, they'll say, you know what, I, I, I probably could grow in prayer. I probably need to pray more. Hey, I, I think my prayer life really needs to change. That may be true. But what I want to share with you now is that I think someone who really knows the Lord well is going to give us some advice about prayer, some God-breathed advice. And I'm asking you to be open-minded. I'm asking you to receive these words. So, Let's take one moment, if we could, and just talk to God and just ask him that he would open our eyes, reveal some blind spots, and that we might hear from him today. If you would, take your Bibles and open them to James chapter 5 or open your flat screens or you can just uh, look on the screen as we read the scripture today. I'm going to read from James chapter 5 starting at verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, 
you will be forgiven. James starts off with a question, a question that he knows the answer. But he says, are you going through hard times? I I know you're going through hard times. When you go through hard times, let him pray. The middle voice here says we participate in this action. That we pray, but the Holy Spirit also joins our prayers as we petition, as we talk to our Father. Hard times are part of life. So James says when you enter that zone, pray. You know, many eventually go to God when they're in trouble. But it often seems like it's the last resort. I think James is trying to change this right now. He's saying, when you enter that troubled area, those stormy, um, the the waves and the winds and and the things in life that scare you, (laughs) pray sooner. Pray quicker. Don't wait so long. Pray. Remember, you are God's kid. You get to go boldly into the throne room. Don't wait. Talk to God. Pray. Now, even though hard times have a purpose, and we've chatted through that when we talked in, in or when we taught from James chapter 1, we also referred to 1 Peter chapter 1. But he says, even though good things can come from hard times, I still want you to pray. The Apostle Peter and Paul remind us that prayer is the resource during hard times. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Talk to God. Hand them over. God is your heavenly Father. Well, you might ask, how, how do I pray? What do I say? Well, I would say, why don't you pray like Jesus? Just about every time we've opened up um, a section in James, we end up going back to the Sermon on the Mount somewhere. Uh, James was so influenced by Jesus' preaching. And Jesus taught about prayer. He taught his disciples to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, he said, this is how you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says this, you start off talking to your father. He's your dad. But remember, his name is hallowed. You're to honor him. You're to revere him. 
And then he jumps right into what's important. His focus was the kingdom. He said, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. May this world look a little bit more like the world was supposed to look when you designed it. Then he makes a personal request. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us. You know our needs. You understand what is going to be necessary for us to live and to thrive. Would you provide that for us, Father? Then he talks about a relationship with God and with others. He says, forgive us in the same way and the manner that we forgive others. Lord, I, I need your forgiveness. And I need to forgive others. And finally, Jesus asks for protection and guidance and strength here. He says, don't let us or don't let me yield to temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a guide. This doesn't mean, again, that this is the only way we pray and we just repeat these words. But we look at how Jesus addressed his father. It's a guide to help us pray. Now, the focus of our prayers are usually different. Most of the time, it focuses on us, about our needs, about our safety, and about our comfort. Jesus taught us to pray differently. And even as we go out into all these different arenas in our life, we need to remember that prayer is important. Then Peter says this, are you happy? I, I'm sorry. And then James says this. Are you happy? In good spirits? Cheerful? Well, sing praises. The focus here is on people who maintain a cheerful attitude in their suffering. He says, sing. Sing praises. The focus is on God, not on our circumstances. And then we come to a part in the scriptures which so many of us have read and so many of us have held on to tightly. He says this, Are you sick or are you weak? Call the elders. Folks mostly hear physical sickness when they read these words. And yes, I would say let's cry out to God about our infirmities. We did even in the pastoral prayer this morning. But James right here is probably talking about spiritual sickness or weakness. Let me read uh, from John MacArthur's commentary on this verse. He says this, It's best to translate sick as weak, which makes it consistent with its predominant usage in the epistles. This allows us to view this verse in a different light. James moves beyond the suffering believers of the previous point to address specifically those who have become weak by that suffering. The weak are those who have been defeated in spiritual battle, 
who have lost the ability to endure their suffering. They are fallen spiritual warriors, the exhausted, the weary, the depressed, defeated Christians. They have tried to draw on God's power through prayer, but have lost motivation, even falling into sinful attitudes. Having hit bottom, they are not able to pray effectively on their own. In that condition, the spiritually weak need help of the God... Uh, the spiritually weak need the help of the spiritually strong. And so James says this, call the elders. The elders, well, are called to pray and to minister the word and to care for the flock. James says help can be found in your elders. This is probably another plug for the local church. So many times people will jump around to different churches. They won't be part of a church or a family or a community. One of the benefits of being part of a local church is to have spiritual leaders or shepherds to be able to care for each one of you. Well, these leaders, these elders in your midst are those who are spiritually strong and spiritually mature. Weak, defeated believers are to go to them and draw on their strength. Paul expresses the same thought in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He writes to the, the believers in Galatia, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. You see, I've noticed over the years that spiritual sickness or weakness comes in all forms and shapes. Sometimes it's just because of difficult circumstances. And we begin to question God, why? Why am I suffering? Why is this evil overtaking us? How come the good guys aren't winning? It reminds me of a story. Uh, so many of you um, have read through the Gospels and know John the Baptist, but, but Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest of all men. He knew God. He loved God. He was there when Jesus was baptized, of course, and heard God's voice from the heavens talk about his beloved son. John was also Jesus' cousin, so they were close. They understood each other's ministries and understood what God was doing through each one of them. But John was tossed in prison unjustly. And while he was in prison, he began to think, and he began to wonder, is Jesus really the Messiah? Maybe I missed this. I know I heard the voice. I, I know I saw the miracles, but, but maybe, maybe he's not. I, I'm starting to doubt. I'm, I'm weak. My faith is failing. I need my tires pumped. So he sent his disciples to Jesus and just had his disciples ask Jesus, Hey, are, are you really the Messiah? 
Now, Jesus didn't blurt out an answer and says, of course I'm the Messiah. Go tell John the Baptist. You know, he doesn't have to worry. Boom, I'm it. Instead, he answered in a different way. He said this, tell John the kingdom has arrived. The blind are seeing and the lame are walking. And the dead are being raised to life. And the gospel is being preached to the poor. Tell John that I've ushered, into the, I've ushered in the kingdom of God. And that the Messiah has come. You know, I think sometimes we lose air in our tires when we struggle with sin in our lives. Let me try to explain. When Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, he paid the penalty for sin, which was our debt for sin, and it's called justification. Jesus died on the cross to also give us power over sin, and that's called sanctification. Each day as we walk with God, he chips away the things that don't reflect him well. And there are sins and there are strongholds in our life, but God has promised us that they aren't our master anymore. That we have a new master and that we can obey Jesus and we don't have to serve the master of sin and live in death or defeat. And so there are times, though, in our Christian lives where there are sins that beset us. Sins that weigh us down, that sins that that just feel like we can never have victory over. Well, we need to meet with our elders and to pray and to allow them to support you and to encourage you. Sometimes we struggle with a casual attitude towards sin or repentance. We, We see as we look around that that we need to have a different mindset. And prayer will help us do that. Some of us struggle with forgiveness, personal forgiveness, with some of the things that we have done, and even forgiving others. As elders, meet together and pray for you and encourage you on this battle, in this battle, that, that you will receive truth and power from these prayers. Sometimes we're dealing with guilt and shame and bitterness. Oh, it's so good to meet together with God's people and have them pray for you and for healing. Sometimes there's just a lack of fruit. We've walked with God maybe for a long time and and we don't see a lot of things changing. And we don't see a lot of evidence of God working in our lives and And it would be good for elders to sit around and and pray with you and for you. You know, I've often found that uh, the scars and the wounds of ministry sometimes make you weak. That um, will knock the wind out of you. It wears you out. Working in the church and working with people and serving them Uh, sometimes pays a price. And it's so good for elders to be able to surround you and pray for you 
in the midst of this battle so that you're encouraged to keep moving and going forward. That's why you call an elder, not a doctor. Elders' prayer is power. And James says, let them anoint you with oil. There's no doubt that oil during this first century was a, a healing, an ointment. You would put this on wounds and it would allow the wounds to heal. But oil is also symbolic of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit comes and literally empowers and strengthens, convicts, encourages each one of us. Metaphorically, the Elders anointing of the weak and deflated and discouraged believers with oil conveys the responsibilities of the elders to stimulate, to encourage, to strengthen and reflect or refresh the flock. You see, prayer offered in the name of Jesus heals. The name of Jesus is the name that encompasses all that God is. He heals a person bound by the shackles of sin, resulting in forgiveness. God does the healing. It's not a special prayer, but it somehow as elders meet with you and pray, the combination of power that God has is unleashed. The idea here is that God uses elders' prayers to deliver weak deflated and defeated believers from their spiritual weakness and restore them to spiritual wholeness. These prayers are but a channel for God's power. It is the Lord who will raise up the weak. It is through the righteous prayers of godly men that God restores his battered sheep. You know, there's an interesting incident that happens in Mark chapter 9. Let me give you a little bit of a background on this. Jesus was doing life with his disciples. But it was near the end of his public ministry. And the resurrection, excuse me, and the crucifixion wasn't far off. It was looming. And right in Mark chapter 8 and 9 and 10, um, the story moves quickly. But let me give you some highlights. Jesus has his disciples around and, and asks them, who do you say I am? Peter boldly says, you're the Messiah. You're the one who've come and save every one of us. Oh, everyone was feeling good about that time. But then Jesus began teaching about the suffering he would have to endure. And the cross he would have to literally be thrust upon. And the resurrection, of course, that would follow. Well, Peter didn't like this very much. In fact, he took Jesus aside and said, Hey, Jesus, let's, you know, we don't want to talk about this suffering thing. And Jesus looked right at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are seeing things from man's perspective. I am seeing things from God's perspective. <laughs> from the high of knowing he's the Messiah to the low of being called Satan. Oh, my word. Then Jesus began to just teach the crowds what it meant to follow him and be a disciple. And then shortly in, in chapter 9, 
the scriptures tell us that, that Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and they walked up with the rabbi up this mountain. And uh, we have called this the transfiguration, where Jesus, James, John, and Peter were there when Moses and Elijah make a visit. Oh, it, it was a powerful time where a voice from heaven again said, hey, this is my son, listen to him, listen to him. Well, after this special experience, they're walking down from the mountain in Mark chapter 9. The crowds are all around. Well, at this moment, a desperate father runs up to Jesus, cries out to Jesus and said, I brought my son to be delivered. But your disciples, they couldn't well, cast out the demon. This demon has been relentless. This demon has tried to hurt my son since he's been a little boy. We're asking for deliverance, but the disciples didn't deliver. Have mercy on us, the dad cries out, and help us if you can. Jesus responds, Mark chapter 9, verse 23. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. The boy was delivered. The man was doing a happy dance. He was so grateful. Afterwards, though, the scriptures tell us that during a quiet moment, the disciples asked, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out that demon? In Mark 9, 29, Jesus said this, This kind can only be cast out by prayer. You know, it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I just want you to know, only the Son of Man can really do this kind of a miracle. He didn't say that. You see, the disciples had already been sent out earlier in this gospel. They had already performed miracles. They've already shared with people good news of the kingdom. And they came back and they reported all these things to Jesus. But this time they were ineffective. This time the demon stayed. This time it didn't work. And they were confused. Why, Jesus? Why? We did all the right things. We did exactly what you said. But they didn't. They forgot the prayer piece. And it showed. You know, after reading this and hearing what James was saying, I began to wonder. I wonder if there's times in ministry that I know all the right things to do and right things to say. But it ends up being really ineffective because I didn't pray. James then continues in James 5, verses 16 through 18. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again. The sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. It seems like James is pressing his foot on the gas here. He says this, confess or admit your sins to each other. Now, not as you would to a priest in some kind of a confessional. But confess or admit your sins, your shortcomings, your weaknesses to those who are part of the family. Talk to those in your family about this. You see, most of the times as you do life with other family members, they may not see their weaknesses, they may not see their blind spots, but you certainly do. So even in the church as we, well, do life together, there are things, well, we have blind spots. We have areas that seem to be aware, uh, well, everybody else can see these shortcomings. But we need to own them. We need to be able to have people come around us and pray so that we might grow in this area. Pray for each other so healing can happen. Let that sink in a little bit. Healing will happen as we confess our sins, our weaknesses in one another, so that others can pray for you. This is not just a ministry for the elders. Yes, the elders are called to pray, and they're called to teach the word, and they're called to care for the flock. But this is how the local church operates. Is that we support each other. We pray for each other. In fact, this is how a healthy body functions. We all have weaknesses, disease, and broken bones. We want our parts to heal so we all can function effectively. When we have a broken foot, we know we have a broken foot. We do. We can't hide it. We can pretend it's not broken. But the rest of our body is shouting. The pain, the agony, the screaming. No, that is a broken foot. Own it. Let the body surround you. Let the body pray for you. Allow that bone to be healed. You see, maintaining open relationships and sharing with one another and praying with other Christians will help believers from bottoming out in their spiritual lives. Such relationships help give the spiritual strength that provides victory over sin. And they also provide godly pressure to confess and to forsake sin before they become overwhelming to the point of total spiritual defeat. Here's the promise. Here's the promise. Earnest prayers 
of righteous people matter. They have power. They give results. In fact, James says this. Let me give you an illustration. I'd like you to look at Elijah. Elijah was a revered prophet. His stories were legendary. He was bold and dependent and displayed God's power in some amazing ways. So when James said, Elijah is just like us, that had a shock, that first century crowd. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Elijah can't be like us. I mean, Elijah was this really holy prophet. Elijah displayed all this power. No, no, I, I can't. I'm not like Elijah. James says, you are. You are. The Bible records that Elijah was hungry and Elijah was afraid and Elijah was depressed. Yet when he prayed, incredible things happened. His prayer had power. In fact, right here it says, when he prayed, rain literally stopped for three and a half years. And when he prayed again, rain came down. The earnest prayer moves the heart of the omnipotent God of the universe. Let me give this illustration. Boxers understand the strategy behind a one-two punch. To a boxer, a one-two punch is a left jab, which is followed quickly with a right uppercut. Two actions that work in combination to deliver a very effective and powerful result. Prayer is the one-two punch of a believer's arsenal. Let me explain. The left jab I would call personal prayer. It's talking to God. No one else needs to be in the room. But it's just you and God having a conversation. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 7, Never stop praying. Never stop talking to God. Always be in communication with God. It's critical. And so we get to go boldly into the throne room and talk to the Almighty. The second punch what I would call the right uppercut or the knockout punch, I would call corporate prayer. Believers can gather together and pray as a church, capital C, a universal church. All the believers all over the world coming together, talking to God. Many of them even now just asking God to heal their land as a result of this pandemic. The redeemed also pray as a church, small c. Believers gather together as part of Crosspoint Church and be praying for their leaders and their ministries and their neighborhoods. The rescued also can pray in smaller groups. Corporate prayer can be looked at as duos or triads or quads or maybe a little Larger, uh, Not more than 10, though, at least right now. But as people gather together and talk and pray for each other and for ministries, 
We need to grow in both of these punches and to be able to use them. You know, as I wrap up, I want to just share a little bit more of my heart with you. I delayed this message for a few reasons. The biggest one being its close or its ending. I was hoping that we would be meeting together in the worship center by now. And that at the end of this message, that I might be able to encourage groups of two or three or four together all over in order to pray for one another and to pray for our church and to pray for our world and to pray for our neighborhood. I was hoping that we could do that. But it isn't happening. I started thinking a little bit of the times after our normal celebration times. And over the years that I've been a pastor here, the response for prayer after a celebration service has been almost non-existent. Sometimes we encourage people to take that first step of faith so that they might um, be saved, that they understand God's grace, maybe for the first time, and they could come forward and be prayed for and maybe have some questions answered. Now, granted, there's probably not a lot of unbelievers or those not yet redeemed in our congregations every Sunday. But the part that bothers me are all those who are redeemed, all those who are part of God's family. I struggle with the lack of response of prayer or the need for prayer after our services. I understand it could be a busy schedule, but more than that, I almost think it might be pride. We like looking good. We like being strong. We like carrying the persona of, of not needing any help. But every week, I see hurting, discouraged, beat up, struggling believers get up and leave. Mostly because we've had conversations. I know their circumstances and their situations. I know they desperately need people surrounding them, praying for them, encouraging them on the journey. And I see them get up and walk out. I know that I don't know everyone's situation or circumstance, so i got to believe even there's more that are leaving deflated. You know, it's a privilege for believers who go boldly before the throne of God on behalf of others. And it's not a bad thing to know when the battle has been intense, when you're losing, when you're defeated and you need help. I'm praying as a church, we ask for help more often. 
I would love to see once we get back after a celebration service that there are clusters forming all over the worship center. Some might be meeting with elders. Some might be meeting with our prayer team. Some might just be meeting right there in their row. Praying for each other. Encouraging one another. Helping them on this journey. Maybe some will ask for prayer. They'll be courageous enough. And that would be awesome. But I'm also praying that maybe some of the stronger ones might be so sensitive to the Spirit's promptings that God may put certain individuals or families on your heart and you would go to them and just ask them, can I pray for you today? I think it would be an amazing time. I think our community would actually grow stronger because we are depending on God, listening to God, and praying on behalf of others. I'm not sure where this is landing for you. But I'd like to take a moment. I'd like to close in prayer. Father, we do need you. We desperately need you. Our church needs you. Our world needs you. And Lord, there are times when, when things are hard. There are times, Lord, when we feel so weak and that our tires seem so deflated. We would ask, dear God, that, that we would come quicker to you, that we would pray faster, and that we would not be ashamed to ask others to join us in prayer. Lord, we're so grateful that James wrote down these principles for us. Would we learn from them? Would we listen to you? And would our church and our people be stronger? We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.